Hi, this is The Women Who Bring to Life What's Next, a podcast series by Capgemini Invent. In this series, we explore how some of the world's most successful women leaders transform their businesses, connect humans and technology, and make a difference in the world. My name is Courtney Pace. I'm the head of strategy and head of private equity for Frog, a Capgemini Invent company. Today, I'm joined by Alyssa Reed, who is the Senior Vice President, Application and Platform Services at Charter Communications. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You've had an incredible career at both Comcast and Charter. And for those listening, if, if you're not familiar with Charter, you certainly will be with its branded service spectrum, which provides cable, TV, internet, phone, wireless, the, the whole nine. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think it's the second largest cable operator behind Comcast. You are correct. Okay, perfect. So tell us a little bit about your role today, if you don't mind, and how you got into this industry. Certainly. Yeah. So I'm in a group within Charter called Network Operations, and we are essentially the engine room that is running the platforms and services that provide all the things that you just named to our customers. And so when we think about delivering customer experience and making that as good as it can be, there's a team of people that are ever vigilant, always watching, making sure that if something goes bump in the night, we're there to either identify and prevent that or certainly mitigate it in a short fashion. And so for me, application of platform services, I sit where our cloud infrastructure lives in terms of where our services reside, whether that's in the public cloud or an on-premise private cloud, as well as a lot of our service delivery systems. So things that are very critical to ensuring that a customer who's paying for internet actually receives that service at the speed at which they're paying, that they're able to surf the internet or consume video, place a landline telephone call or a mobile phone call. And so a lot of what we do is making sure that if we have any kind of disruption on our end, that the customers never see that. Gotcha. Okay, amazing. And how did you become interested in technology and in telco specifically? Yeah, so that's a funny story. The honest answer is that I wasn't initially interested in any of that. I actually got my undergrad in religious studies and philosophy. The natural entree. That's right. <laughs> Strangely enough, I could not find a job. And so that was right around the time where technology was really starting to take off in the early 2000s. And in my hunt, I went to basically a boot camp for, at the time, it was Novell certification and Microsoft certification that were all the rage. And that kind of led into small local area network administration. I was in Philadelphia at the time, and Philadelphia has a high population of lawyers demographically. So it was a company that serviced a lot of the law firms in Philadelphia. And that led ultimately to me taking a job with a vendor to Comcast at the time. And that was my first entree into the world of telecommunications and specifically cable. Got it. Okay. And then what prompted the change from Comcast to Charter? So I was with Comcast for probably 13 years. My husband was also a Comcaster. And so there were a couple few dynamics that you might imagine that were happening there. There was a lot of shop talked over the dinner table, which wasn't a great thing at home. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times when you make a decision to leapfrog like that, especially after having spent a time with a great company like Comcast, who took you know great care of myself and my husband, it comes down to following the leader. And so 
I had a leader at Comcast, a lady by the name of Charlotte Field, who was very inspiring to me. You know, she was a role model for me. She, at, at some point, decided to make that journey and went to Charter. And once upon a time, roughly six years ago, Charter closed a merger and acquisition with Time Warner Cable and Bright House and became the big company that it is now. It's the story of the minnow that swallowed the whale. She reached out to me and it led from having lived in Philadelphia my whole life and really having Comcast as my career building company and foundation to moving to Denver and joining Charter. Amazing. And how fortunate to have such an incredible leader and mentor. I want to come back to that in in a couple moments because I think it's just such a huge part of successful careers. So you fall into to telco. You have this amazing kind of growth period at Comcast and now to Charter. What are the things about your role and your job now that you love that get you to stay every day? That's a great question. Part of the answer is, is historic in nature. So when I was at Comcast, I did a lot of development and towards the end of my tenure when Comcast shifted into a DevOps model, I did DevOps. And when I came to Charter, I took a role that I knew was going to be purely operational in nature. And at that time, that was potentially a source of discomfort for me. I didn't know how I was going to feel about that. But having spent some time here now in this role, I think that is one of the things that I love the most because the nature of operations is that it is very unpredictable. It can be. If we're doing our jobs well, there's a lot of predictability, but you know, some variants, some anomalies you can't completely flush out. And there is an element of challenge and opportunity when there's a problem that occurs and you're the person or you're the team or it's your group that needs to sort that for the company and for the customer. And it's not for everyone. You know, that call can come at three o'clock in the morning and often does, but that is part of what makes me tick, I suppose. And a lot of the folks that I work with, I think, feel similarly. I can't stand to be idle and I don't like to be bored. And I have that assurance in the role that I have. And I think we thrive on it. I bet. I bet. It's a very interesting time to be in telco, given a lot of the forces impacting the industry. So I imagine that your role is only going to continue to get more interesting as, as the years progress. Given all of that, what do you think some of the biggest forces will be that will be impacting your work? Yeah, so when I think about cable and where the industry at large is going, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the competitive landscape, right? We are, at our core, a connectivity company. And there's a lot of threat in that landscape right now. If you think about a lot of the mobile providers and 5G, as well as things like fixed wireless access. And so I think a lot of where our attention and focus is and will remain for some amount of time is to bring a set of products and services that are very elegant, curated, convenient, and reliable. And to do that at the lowest cost basis that we can for our customers, better positioned from a pricing perspective than anyone else. And so if you look at what a spectrum has to offer, we have internet, clearly broadband. We have wireless in the home and outside the home. We have mobile, we have landline. And when you put those things together and you start to talk about building our own 5G network, et cetera, we have a converged network experience. The best analogy I can give for that is when you are on your cell phone in your car and you pull into your garage and there's that moment where your phone transitions from being on your cellular provider's network to your home Wi-Fi network. 
there are very few outside the cable industry that are so well positioned to deliver such a seamless converged network experience. And as we look back, even the past few years and the changes that have happened during the pandemic and the increased reliance on home connectivity, so much more functionality and capability is being pushed into the palm of your hand. And we want that experience to be ubiquitous. I I am very familiar with that moment. (laughs) Coming or going, it always drops for a couple of seconds. So incredible. So for players like Spectrum, who are increasingly focused on customer experience, how are you also thinking about the interplay between people and technology, given just the ability of technology to, of course, drive huge business outcomes and accelerate progress, but also keeping people sort of top of mind uh, in terms of the overall experience. Yeah. So there's so many different ways to go at customer experience and, you know, make it a front of mind pursuit for everyone in the company and drive outcomes related to that. And I think there's a couple things that Spectrum is doing in a very intended and conscious way. We have all kinds of telemetry, right? And this is kind of somewhat specific to my part of the company and where I work and what I do. But there is a lot of machine data that we get from the platforms that we run, that we get from the modems in the customer home or the devices behind those modems, whether they be consumer electronics devices or perhaps a router that we manage for the customer. On our portals and in our apps, we have data. And so I think we almost have an obligation to take that and use it in service of the customer on behalf of them and their experience. And there is such a journey to be made there and a spectrum of maturity, right, that we're going down. As a customer myself, regardless of who I'm dealing with, who the provider of a service is, I have a certain expectation that because of the way that I'm interacting with them, they should know certain things about me without me telling them that, right? They should know that I've paid my bill or that I paid it late. They should know that I had to make a phone call to them for support on a certain day. You know, every interaction that I have is something that should be used for me and in the betterment of my experience. And so whether we're talking about the onboarding experience to our products and services, our ongoing maintenance of that experience, we need to manage the customer expectations and anticipate with that information that we have, how are we doing and how can we improve that? And how can we do that without being asked, right? There's a difference between customer service and customer experience. Customer service is a reactionary posture, right? That we want to move away from. Customer experience is something that we're actively curating and very progressive about. And I think that's a key distinguisher, especially given what we talked about in terms of the competitive landscape. There's always going to be a way to distinguish ourselves in terms of the type of experience that we deliver. I love that distinction. So if you had a magic wand, what's the one thing you think would drive the next big chapter of growth for Charter or for customer experience in in general? And Perhaps it's something that that doesn't exist yet, if you'd like. So I think the biggest opportunity is to really execute on this vision of a converged network and to ensure that what we're delivering in terms of experience is reliable. Because you and I both know that the internet is becoming as much a utility, it already is, as telephone or energy or gas in its own right. And when it's not available for any reason or it's impaired, uh, 
that is a big deal to people. And it should be. I know what happens in my household with my 12 and 14 year old or something wrong with the internet. (laughs) It's personal and it's disturbing. And we've set the expectation that this is always on and always available, no matter where you are or what device you're on, um, no matter what the type of connectivity is, the customer shouldn't have to care about that. And it should be transparent to them. So I think really executing on that, and that means whether you're talking about internet service, whether you're talking about voice and whether that's landline or mobile, where we're talking about video streaming services, right? And there's all kinds of shifting happening there. I think there's a way to bring that together in a meaningful, simple way for customers and do it reliably. Fantastic. Shifting gears slightly, I'd love to jump into leadership a little bit. I'm curious... Are there particular leadership philosophies at either Comcast or Charter? I would say no, on the whole, with any big company the size of a Charter or a Comcast. The leaders need to set that style, that culture, that tone. You have this massive corporate entity, and there is a corporate culture certainly that comes top down from the C-suite. But the further you get from the C-suite down to the the engineers on the floor, in my case, or the agents in the call center, that isn't as strong as felt. And so my perspective is it's a leader's job to set that microculture and to show the people that they're leading, what does it mean to work here? Why is it important? Are we an empathetic culture? Do we care about you? Do we believe that you're more than human capital? And I think you're going to find those microcultures to be different. Mileage is going to vary across the size of a company like a Comcast or a Charter. And so that's our responsibility as leaders to set that culture and be deliberate about it. And how would you describe your leadership style? You know, there's the aspirational what I would like to be, which is to be a human leader. I think that's how I would put it. Very approachable, egalitarian, someone who's learning as much from their people as they're learning from me. And of course, with that is knowing that some days are better than others. And I may not always be the human leader that I want to be, especially when it comes to business imperatives and different pressures, right, on on the daily basis. But um, I think it's very important to connect with people. And that's really what it's about. And to explain, right, top-down mandates are something I think, if you've been in any industry, any job long enough, you've probably experienced at some point in your career. And that's definitely the antithesis of what I think leadership is and the kind of leader that I want to be. I am just as subject to be questioned by the folks on the floor about why we're doing one thing versus another as anyone else, right? I'm not exempt from that. I'm not exempt from learning and I'm not exempt from being taught, right? So it's a journey for all of us and it never stops. (laughs) Do you think your style has evolved? Yes, I feel like part of my maturity as a leader is to approach with any situation, any person, any challenge with more patience and thoughtfulness. There was a leader that I worked for at Comcast that you know used to observe in me that I would get worked up, I would get excited or be excitable about a problem or an escalation from another business unit. He used to tell me, just chill. And uh, that's one of the best lessons I've ever gotten. And I tend to pass it along too, because we all are doing the best we can do. We all have to assume that the people that we're dealing with at work on a daily basis have the best intentions. And I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I'm not an EMT. And so if I make a mistake or I don't move fast enough, nobody's lives are on the line. And so I think it's better to be 
very thoughtful and take the time you need and not get excited. Now, you manage a pretty large team of around 300 people, I think. I've always been really interested in how leaders not just make personal one-on-one connections, but think about leadership at scale. So I'm curious how you think about managing, inspiring such a large team. It has to be a very front of mind concern and pursuit. You have to set aside time and energy and initiative to do that. And that can take so many different forms. Walking the floor, that's a term that's used regularly. What does that mean or what does that mean to me? It means that when you see people, you know them by face, you know them by name, you know that they have a daughter and a son and one's in high school and the other one's in elementary school. And you know you can talk to them about things other than work and that you are an empathetic leader who is very concerned with the whole person, right? And that benefits the business. You have a whole person coming to work who arguably spends more time at work than you know at home, depending on your job. It's very important to make that experience in the workplace high quality as possible. So speaking to people as human beings and not as resources, number one, is huge. And that is sustainable at a group of 300. I recognize that bigger groups, maybe not so much, but I feel, at least for me, that it's doable and it should be done. And then there's little things like employee appreciation events and celebrating birthdays and work anniversaries and doing potlucks and going out and acknowledging when people have done a good job and doing that in a meaningful and timely way. There's so many different things, but that's a start of it. You talked earlier about what a huge impact one of your role models and mentors had on you and and your career, particularly as you were making the leap. I'm curious, are there any lessons for how best we can think about empowering our female leaders and others with whom we work? Absolutely. And this isn't any kind of different thinking, but it, it warrants repeating because I'm sure it's it's a truism that's been heard before. Women need to support each other, certainly in the technology business where we are still quite the minority and the higher you go in leadership, the more that is true. And so we need to support each other. And not only do we need to support each other as mentors and coaches, we need to support each other as sponsors. And there's a huge difference between those two things. And arguably a sponsor is more important in my mind than a mentor or a coach. And so something that she always did that inspired me, two things really is she was always extremely approachable. When I was an engineer on the floor and she was a senior vice president at Comcast, there was no barrier to entry. She was so approachable, so easy to talk to, in touch with you as an individual. It came so naturally to her, which understanding that's not true for everyone, but she had that gift that there was none of that intimidation factor that can often happen as you move through the ranks of leadership. That's one. And second is she always made time for informal and formal mentoring and coaching through structured and unstructured programs. So in our industry, there are institutions that are all about women in cable. So Women in Cable Technologies, WICT is one. And that has been a huge vehicle for my career progression and, and has been for so many women, and it helps us to find one another and to connect. So leveraging a lot of the industry connections to be able to further that in terms of coaching and mentoring and sponsoring, I think is huge. I love that. It's it's so important because in addition to helping propel you within the company and within the industry, also creating human and personal connection that just extends the relationship beyond the walls of work. Yes. Yeah. So when we look back a couple of years from now, what do you hope your legacy to be? That is a 
tough question. I want to be remembered for having helped. And I know that's such a generic and bland term. You know, certainly there's the business outcomes and deliver goals and helping with the company line, making sure that the platforms and the systems that I operate are impeccable, right? And have high availability. But at the end of the day, I want to be remembered by the people that I led, that I helped them, that I empowered them, that I made their jobs easier, that I positioned them for success. Because to me, those two things are inseparable in terms of business outcomes and then the quality and experience of your employees. And you can't have one without the other. I think you can't have the business outcomes you want without a very deliberate and positive culture either. So we start to tangle up different subjects here, but I think the legacy I want to leave is probably very similar to what my mentor has left, and that is how many people's careers, even lives have I touched, and to help further and propel in the direction that they want to go. Amazing. Do you have any last thoughts for those who are listening today? Or how can others help join the cause of this kind of caring and sponsoring culture that that you've been talking to us about? Yeah, I would say that if there are other folks in leadership listening, it's okay to make a mistake. You are fallible and you should let that show. Um, I would invite correction and suggestion from any engineer on the floor. It's important for people to feel heard and you should never allow yourself to become disconnected or incongruous with, you know, what the people who are doing the real hard work are seeing and experiencing. And so, you know, showing your vulnerability, I suppose, is what I'm really saying. That'll help them to connect with you and it will help them follow you. So I think it can be hard to do that, but to be open to that. Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It's been a an amazingly human conversation with a human leader and, and your journey as a woman in technology is so inspiring. We are very excited to follow along and see all the amazing things that you do next. So thank you so much again for your time today. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. 